0: First, I want you to know I didn't pay Josh Scott to say all those kind words about me. And, but I am grateful for them. Thank you, Josh. And thank you on behalf of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Georgia. It's my great honor and privilege to serve as the executive coordinator because I get to work with good churches like Second Ponce. Now, most of you in this room don't know me, but I've known of you for quite some time. I went to McAfee uh, School of Theology and through the years I've had a good number of friends who've worked on staff here and many years ago when I was in seminary even did some retreats with the youth group here at Second Ponds. This is a church that has been uh, near and dear to my heart for a long time. Doc Hollingsworth has been a longtime friend. He's an old guy so I get to say that while he's not here. (laughs) He is a longtime friend and a good friend, and he is away with family this weekend at a wedding. Um, he did tell me he properly chastised them for planning a wedding where the minister would need to be available in December. He said, which is almost as bad as having a wedding in the fall when the minister needs to be away on a Saturday during football season. So. It's it's that time of year. But thank you. Thank you for all the ways you support CBF of Georgia. Thank you for the ways that you partner with us in ministry and mission in our state and beyond. We can't do what we do, connecting Baptists like the Good Baptist here at Second Ponce, without your support and without your help. So thank you. This morning, I'm going to read from Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So listen to the words of the prophet Malachi. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Years ago, when my children were very young, my wife and I borrowed an Advent idea from a friend. We wrap up all the Christmas books in our house like presents, and each night one of my children unwraps a book and we read it together as a family. Even now as my children have grown older and in their minds obviously too mature to read children's Christmas books, my wife and I dutifully wrap Those Christmas books, and we still gather around to read one each night from the beginning of Advent until Christmas Eve. One of my favorite books that we unwrap every year is entitled Who is Coming to Our House by Joseph Slate and Ashley Wolfe. Who is coming to our house? Someone, someone, says Mouse. Make room, says Pig. Goat replies, I will butt aside the rig. We must clean, says lamb. Dust the beam, says ram. Who is coming to our house? Someone, someone, says mouse. Sweep the earth, says chick. Stack the hay, says gander, and quick. Spin new webs, says spider. And goose replies, I will line the crib with eider. Who is coming to our house? Someone, someone, says mouse. Owl says, someone's coming from afar. Donkey says, I will nose the, jo- the door ajar. But it is dark, says cat. They will not come, says rat. Yes, they'll come, says mouse. Someone's coming to this house. I will lay an egg, says hen. Peacock says, I will spread my tail for them who is coming to our house mary and joseph says mouse welcome welcome to our house advent is the time of year when we like the animals in this sweet little children's book should be getting ready for the coming of jesus It's the season of preparation. It's time to do some winter cleaning of the nooks and crannies of our hearts. But if you're anything like me, even the thought of cleaning house or cleaning hearts is exhausting and scary. Don't misunderstand me. I don't like living in a messy barn. And I'm pretty good about keeping my stuff picked up while constantly nagging my children to do the same. No, the big areas of my house, I keep clean. Pillows are neatly arranged on the sofa. The kitchen counter is generally free from clutter. Shoes are put away neatly. In my heart, too, I don't have a lot of big messes. I'm committed to my church and to the larger church of Jesus. I don't commit any of those capital offense kind of sins. No murder, no adultery, no violence. I try my best to be a good parent. No, I keep the open public spaces of my heart, like my house, clean. But in the recesses of my heart, like the baseboards or the basement storage closet or the deli tray in the refrigerator, there's some gunk and grime in there sometimes that I've swept aside and I've ignored for too long. I'm certain there is a pile of petty jealousy in my heart that has robbed me of authentic relationships and over there there's a small tower of destructive misplaced anger that is fun to relish but certainly corrosive for my soul oh and right here well here is a stack of indifference to those sisters and brothers who are suffering in my community and in our world It's in those places and those messes that I keep hidden that really need to be cleaned in the worst way. And just like I have maids of Macon come to our house periodically to clean those neglected places of my home, we need someone like Malachi to help us scrub the hard to reach places of our hearts. Who is coming to our house? a precious metals refiner, and a launderer, says Malachi. I'll admit both of these images of a cleaner are intense. A refiner's fire blazed white hot as to melt the metal like silver or gold. Then as the metal was liquefied, the refiner would bellow even more air into the flame so that it became so hot that it melted everything leaving a film of sludge, the dross, as King James puts it, that would be skimmed off the top of that precious metal. A fuller's soap was no bottle of Dawn dish detergent, nor a pack of Tide Pods for your laundry machine. A fuller was the one who scrubbed linen until it was white, often using a strong lye-based detergent mixed with other caustic materials. The fuller would soak the linen in this powerful solution and then literally beat the cloth until it was clean. These powerful images of cleansing and purifying don't usually make it on our Christmas cards. Have you ever tried to find coordinating sweaters of metal smelters and industrial cleaners for your families? And yet, these are the images that Malachi leaves us, showing us the cleaning and preparation that must occur before the Messiah comes. This morning's text may not be suitable for Christmas cards, but it is appropriate for us. In fact, it's more than appropriate. It's necessary. It's a necessary word for us as we approach the stable in Bethlehem. Now, I admit, I've never been overly obsessive about cleanliness. I grew up on a farm. And well, on the farm, cleanliness is not next to godliness. It's next to laziness. There was much work to be done. Uh, most every day, it was sun up to sundown. And when there wasn't work to be done, there were woods to stomp, ponds to fish, four-wheelers to go mud bogging. Now mama made sure that we didn't track in dirt and debris throughout the house and we had to scrub up before meals and bedtime, but it wasn't rare to find dirt under our fingernails. As I grew up and moved away from the farm, I began to pay more attention to cleanliness, but never have I paid as much attention to cleanliness as I have in the past two years. I've washed my hands more often than I can count. I go through hand sanitizer as if I'm performing medical procedures every day. And I'm acutely aware of the presence of germs all around me. And my guess is that the rest of us are in that same boat. The kind of cleaning Malachi is calling for is not relegated to just our fingernails or our faces. His call is to a cleansing for our souls, for the parts of our lives that we can hide from each other, but certainly not from God. We're going to meet the baby Jesus in a couple of weeks. We'll see him right here again as he is every year in this sacred space on Christmas Eve. We will lift high the candles of hope and peace and joy and love to proclaim to the world and maybe more importantly to ourselves that Jesus' birth heralds the dawn of redeeming grace. We're going to hold him and behold him together, remembering that in the face of this child born to backwater peasants, God has become most truly known to humanity. But before we hold this baby in our hearts, just like any time we hold a newborn baby in our hands, we need to be clean. We need to be purified. The God who would dare become one of us, born in an obscure barn in a nondescript town to two unassuming parents... That God would one day declare that his coming was so that all of the sheep, that's you and me and everyone else, would have life and have life abundantly. But abundant life is not tied down or weighed down by the sin that so easily clings to us as the writer of Hebrews tells us. Malachi, generations before the shepherds heard herald angels sing, tells us that we will be refined until we present our offerings. Or as the Apostle Paul would call them later on, our lives. That we will be refined until we present our lives to the Lord in righteousness. During this season of Advent, perhaps we need to be cleansed not of the major sins which land you on the front page of the AJC or keep you trending on Twitter, but perhaps we need to be cleansed of those seemingly small sins, which, when you really look at them, can be most destructive of all. Maybe envy has so blinded our eyes that, in the words of Frederick Beekner, we are consumed by the desire to have everyone else as unsuccessful as we are. Maybe the sin of greed is gnawing at our souls, feasting on, as Beekner also writes, our collectively bad math that says, the more you get, the more you have. If we're being honest, though, it's only through our giving away in love that we gain more life and more love and more contentment. Maybe our sin of pride preens itself in front of others while privately we're continually reminded of how hollow and empty our lives are. We begin to believe the good words others speak of us as if those platitudes tell the whole story of our hidden private lives. And as we begin to believe the good press that is printed and said about us, our love of self quickly becomes worship of self. Maybe most damaging of all to us is the sin of despair that seems to have overtaken our world one of my mentors john claypool wrote in his book the hopeful heart about a time when as a young minister on the front lines of the church and the cultural battles of integration he met with an older seasoned rabbi john confessed to the rabbi his despair of the impasse that had developed in louisville kentucky The rabbi replied to him, I need to tell you that to a Jew, there's only one unforgivable sin, and that is the sin of despair. To say of any situation that it is hopeless, to say that there is nothing redemptive that can possibly be done, that is simply not a position that we consider to be tenable. The rabbi continued, humanly speaking, Despair is presumptuous. It is saying something about reality that we finite humans have no reason or right to say because we don't know everything. And theological despair is downright heretical because it is saying something about the mystery that stands behind all reality that we really have no right to say. We believe that this God of ours can make the things that are out of the things that are not. We believe that this God can even make dead things come alive again. Therefore, to say that there is any situation that is out of reach of that kind of power and that kind of mercy, why, that's downright heretical. good, intellectually bright, morally upstanding people of God like all of us bristle at the thought that God is in the judgment business. Judgment like cleansing and purification is not a big seller for Hallmark's Christmas card division. And yet Malachi, along with a great number of his prophetic partners, tells us that judgment is indeed a part of the messenger's message. God does not stand by waiting to judge us, ready to fling lightning bolts or send plagues or hurricanes or even global pandemics as divine correctives to our basest and worst of human behaviors. No, we'd much rather see God as the loving father or embracing mother or constant companion spirit whose welcome is so expansive that we most assuredly won't be left out no matter what we've done. But it is exactly that kind of love, that divine love of God that was incarnated in the person of Jesus so many, many years ago that fuels the need for cleaning. Because the power of God's love is so overwhelming and so gracious, God's deepest desire for us is that we are cleansed from the muck and the mire that have encrusted our hearts. God wants us clean and pure so we can enjoy this season for sure. But even more, God wants us to embrace the free and abundant life that is before us. The only way to grab hold to the abundant life that is set before us though is with clean hands and pure hearts that confess our sins, our hurts and our pain and that commit our lives to more closely following this person called Jesus. Who is coming to this house? He is coming. Dear friends, the one who was the Word, who was in the beginning with God, Jesus, along with Mother Mary and Father Joseph, is coming again into our world. He is coming most especially to remind us that we are not alone in this life, that God has not abandoned us to the fates, that we are not forsaken or forgotten that God who was present in the beginning is still present even in this very moment. Jesus is coming to show us again that our envy is misguided, our greed is misplaced, our pride is misinformed, and most certainly our despair is mistaken. He is coming again Dear friends, even this season, he is coming in even this very hour. So let us get on with the cleaning. The baseboards of our heart need a good scrubbing and the dark closets of our souls need to be cleaned out and reorganized. Who is coming to this house? Mary and Joseph. And Jesus. And may we greet their arrival at the cleaned houses of our hearts with a hearty welcome, welcome to my house. Amen. Thanks for joining us.